Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go to your call? It's 499-9526. Of course, you put a 225 in front of there, and you can reach us from anywhere you happen to be. That's it. And we always have our little contest every single week where... The person who calls from the furthest distance will actually get a free Agco t-shirt, USPS tool. That's right. goes out Monday morning. That's right. First thing Monday morning when I get there, I get the schedule straight, and then yep. I'll send out my Agco t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, we've got a phone call already. we got Steve Holden. Good morning, Steve. How are you doing? Doing Luke? great, sir. Good morning. I'm from Conway, Arkansas. All right. All right. Not that far from you. Yeah, but not that far. Far enough. By the time I got to get my car serviced today, turn around and come back, but I bought. I was turned on to your site by a friend of mine a week or so ago, and I've been listening to the podcast now until I feel like I know you personally. Okay, good deal. But I, I did want to. I bought your little old lady's car, but this one wasn't setting up. She drove it every day. Yes, since, sir. Since the day it was new. Okay. Transmission went out on my wife. I had it towed to the shop. Uh huh. It did not go into limp mode. It's a '92 Dodge Dynasty. Okay. Which is not real great. He put a coil pack in it. Okay. And it fixed the limp mode. Yes, sir. But it didn't stop it from doing it. So he took it back and put in a cup of solenoids for second and overdrive, I believe. Okay. It's part hydraulic and and part electronic. Yes, sir. Correct. It it still flares up now and then, shifting from first to second. Yes, sir. And he was talking about there's a... There was nothing in the pan, no metal, you yes, know, on that spring. But he said there there was a spring in the valve body that could be broken and causing that. That's one thing, Steve, and, and of course, there's a number of other things. What I would want to do is to run a pressure test on it before yes. you do anything else. Now, if he hasn't done that... He did all of it. Okay, well, you need to know what the pressure readings are because if the reading is rising to the full pressure... Right. Then you can forget about all the solenoids and all the other stuff he's changed. That is not going to fix that. It's got full pressure and still slipping. Now, if you've got inadequate pressure or failure to rise, then you have to see, is it because of a command situation or is it because the command is there but the solenoid is not opening? So I'm a little bit worried when a person goes in and starts changing parts like that because it means they're probably not testing to the extent they need to, which is going well, to be very expensive for you. Right. Now, if you've got full pressure and you've got command, then the problem is inside the transmission, and most likely it's either going to be like a cross leak in the valve body or a seal on the apply clutches or something like that. Now, all that being said, the cost of fixing that is probably far greater than the problem that you've got in that if you're willing to kind of put up with it and just let off and let it do its thing, you may be able to drive that for a long, long time. Well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm mm-hmm. going to take my wife out of it, and I'm going to start driving it because I can drive it for for the rest of my life. Yeah, and, you know, it sounds like you've probably done everything preemptively that you could do, but if the seals on the piston that applies the clutches are old and they're hard, well, what's going to happen is that the fluid is going to bypass them a bit when they apply, and then that hot fluid is going to soften it up enough where it's going to apply. Kind of like an old man. You just got to take a little bit longer to do stuff. You, know? you can still do everything you want to do. It just takes you a little bit longer. You sit there and you race the motor up while it's doing it and try to make it worse. Well, you know, yeah, you can tear it up. But oh, yeah. give it a second. Let it do its thing. And the fluid is fairly clean. There's no excessive metal in the pan. 
I don't oh, see it, a reason why you couldn't keep driving that. Yeah, it was perfect. He dropped mm-hmm. the fan. First thing I did when it quit was check the fluid. It yeah, was sir. perfect. didn't smell. Mm-hmm. He dropped the pan, and there was absolutely nothing in it. filter was beautiful. Well, yeah, and Steve, probably what's happening is just the years are getting to right. you. You know, it's just an old vehicle, and the seals are starting to get hard. Another thing that can help, you change the fluid in it once, Drive it around for, oh, say, five, ten thousand miles. Change the fluid again. Because okay. new fluid has conditioner in it, and that conditioner can ind- eventually soften seals up to a certain degree if they're not too far gone. Now, you don't want to put any kind of additives in there because what that does, that attacks the seals. And that right. will over-soften them, and then they'll all go out, and you'll really be in trouble. But just keeping the fluid nice, you don't even have to change the filter the second time around. Just go in and just drop out the fluid, dump some more fluid in it, that's going to actually help to soften up the seals to whatever degree they can be helped. Yeah, sounds good. But 40,000 miles out, you know, I can drive it forever. But well, that's right. Know, the wife is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, she just but, doesn't understand that ladies, for the most part, just don't have quite uh, experience and stuff with mechanical things that men do as a general rule. Yeah, and, and if it does, sometimes it'll flare up and quit. Then you have to turn the key off and on three times, and it'll go right back, work perfect. Right, just reset. So... If he's checked everything on the outside, you know you've got sufficient pressure and all that, then it's just going to be an internal issue, just probably not worth addressing. Now, make sure he did check the pressure and he does have command because there are some things on the outside that can also cause that. Yeah, he did. been doing it all. But the thing about it is it's so old Yeah. that his tool is not real time, so he can't see it doing it immediately. Yes. So whatever this solenoid or valve's doing, he don't know it till it's already done. Yeah. Whereas on the newer cars, he can see it immediately. Yeah, well, you got what they call PID data yeah. after 96. You can yeah. actually put a digital lab scope on there, and you can see it, but it, that's kind of involved procedure. But it can be done, just not can't be done through a scan tool. Well, I've got about 2,500 in the car. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to put in it. Yeah, it sounds like you got a good plan, Steve. Just take it easy with it. Change the fluid more frequently than you normally would. And okay. other than that... Just drive it easy, and you may go a long, long, long ways. I've got another question that I learned sure. after I started listening to okay, you. Okay, go ahead. She was old. She's 89 now, but she's always had it serviced at a sicko there in town. It's the only service station left in, in Arkansas, probably. Yes, sir. And he's only open certain times of early morning. closes early. Yes, sir. And I couldn't find any oil. Okay. So I put Castrol in it, uh-huh. and I immediately noticed it sounded louder. Am I just going to have to find Sitco oil, and is it going to hurt anything until I get it changed? It would be best if you could find the original oil that you were using in there, Steve, because you may start consuming oil and a lot of other issues. If you absolutely cannot find it, you can sometimes switch to a different oil, and it may take up in time. But if you could find the original oil, just buy you a few cases of it. That way you don't have to hunt every time, even if you got on, go on the Internet. But I'm a big proponent of using one type of all. Yeah, I am too. All righty. But I just flat couldn't find it. Well, <laughs> well it's better than no all at all for sure. <laughs> and thanks for taking my call. Yeah, Steve, hold on after the call. Aaron, she's going to get your address, and I'll get a T-shirt out to you. Okay. Okay, man, thanks for calling. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we're going back to the line. Oh, William, William I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I only saw part of the thing. That's all the very end of it. Yeah, yes, sir. Go that. ahead, William. How you doing, Lou? I've great. got a 2002 Mitsubishi Lancer. Uh-huh. My granddaughter had a flat, and I went to take it off to fix it, and the lug nuts burnt my fingers. <laughs> okay, okay. And uh, I know that if the 
if you break lines, uh, get hot and get well, started inside. Let me ask you, William, is that the front or the rear? That's the front. Front. Did you check the other side and see how hot they were? Same way. They're both hot. Okay. They get awful hot. You got to remember, a brake rotor under just normal driving is about 350 degrees. Right. Stop and go drive it, it can get up to 450 degrees. Oh, really? So they get awful hot. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I, particularly I take, if you just quickly went to it. Right. I take, I yeah, because I can't find anything wrong. You know, the calipers yeah, are retracting. Right. The, yeah. Uh, well, look, look at the rotors, William. Are they blue in color or they just look regular? No, they look pretty normal. Like yeah. They're going to turn blue real fast if they're getting that hot. Because when, when you get a caliper dragon, they run up to 650, which is dull red, and they're going to start turning blue. Well, normally if you get a caliper dragon and you get the brakes, you'll pull one side or the other, right? Depending. Well, it doesn't have any pull. If it fails to engage, you'll get that. If it fails to release, not necessarily, because it can work but just not release, in which case it'll yeah. still brake straight, but it'll drag. But I really kind of doubt you got a brake problem. I mean, look at the pads on both sides. Well, we put new pads while we're down. The pads were pretty good, I think. They you know, wore the same amount on both sides? Yeah, and they, would, yeah. they would still look pretty good. You know, they still had a fair amount. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's probably know if that all right. Heat was normal or what. It is. I mean, if the pads are worn even, the rotors aren't blue, you can yeah. turn the wheel freely, yeah, you don't have a problem. They just get awful hot, man. Yeah, yeah we've was, actually taken them off in the shop. You know, bring a car in, rack. By the time you get it racked up and take the, the tires off, those lug nuts will burn you through gloves. Yeah, they, they get gloves. All right, you're, burn you. you're, you're in a hurry to get rid of get them out of your turning, hand. Well, I wasn't turning gray. I was already there, but I, it just didn't take you long to look at it. You know, take long to get the nugs. Well, I sure appreciate you helping. Help me out a lot. Okay, All William. Right, thanks sir. a lot. Thanks, okay, man. Uh -huh, bye, bye bye. All right, four nine 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 five two six. Number if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? Just in case you don't get a chance to call in, something occurred to you during the week. That's right. You can always visit our website and get mm -hmm. your questions answered that way. That's correct. There's a contact bar on the top of the page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night. Just use the form from the site. Right. And just type him your question with a return address, and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours. That's right. And while you're on there, pop around, look mm -hmm. around, see. There's all kinds of things on there. We add things, I would say, every day. Uh -huh. And certainly every week, we're adding new features and so on and so forth. One thing that we've got coming out, actually, tomorrow morning is the newsletter. That goes out Correct. every three months on the first day of the quarter. Now, if you've never received an AGCO newsletter, it's kind of neat. There's a lot of really good information in there, and you still got time. All you have to do is go in. If you register, just regular register on the site, there's a little checkbox that actually you want to receive a newsletter. That's one way to get it. The other way, you can go in and just register for the newsletter if you don't want to be registered on the site for some reason. Correct. And that way, you can get the newsletter when it comes out. That's right. First of every quarter. It will automatically come to your inbox. That's you don't right. have to do anything. It's just like an email comes to you. And if you don't like looking at email, you can actually click on the little letterhead and it'll open it up in the browser for you so you can see it as part of a web page. Some people prefer that rather than trying to read a little. Right. I can understand that. Some of your email clients, the little window is kind of small. small. Exactly. And if you, so you click can, on the letterhead, it'll actually open in the browser. Right. You can stretch thing. it out where you can see it. Right. I it, know me. My eyes are getting weak and uh, <laughs> I got to have print a lot bigger than I used to. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. Go figure, huh? That's right. And you know, if you happen to not want to receive the newsletter, anymore right. you go to the bottom right unsubscribe and that's the last you'll hear every from it. single newsletter is going to have an unsubscribe button right at the bottom you just click that it takes you off the list automatically and you never receive another one so real real informative good little piece and all you have to do is go on there and register you still got plenty of time as sure. long as you do it by midnight, midnight tonight, tonight you're going to get it because that goes out about six in the morning tomorrow morning so so everyone that's registered will get a newsletter first thing in the morning that's right and everyone who doesn't is going to be Three months three before months you get, to get another one. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to get a chance to get another one. But 
That's just one of the things you can do while you're on there. There's also the detailed topics, which is a whole lot of information on a particular topic. Very good articles. Put one on there this morning on check engine lights. And I've got some huh. other ones, but this one kind of takes it from a different perspective. And it tells you about how to save money with a check engine light because right. it's one of the most confusing pieces of technology on a car. People just don't understand what's going on. The light comes on. It goes off. So, well, it must be okay because it went off. It doesn't come on for a week. Well, okay, everything's good. Wham, it comes on again. Pretty soon they start to just ignore it. So that's the worst possible thing you can do. What this article does is it tells you a little bit about how check engine lights work, why they do the things they do. So pop on there and see what you think, www.agcoauto.com. We're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more. Okay, look, you've been at the Red Box for 10 minutes and you've got about 30 movies. Yeah, you roll in here with that car with the brakes screeching and the bald tires, and then you ask to cut in line because you're in a hurry. Look, it is 2012, and according to the Mayan calendar, the world ends on December 21st. So I'm trying to watch all the movies I can before then. So no car repairs either, right? Who's got time for that? Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. So, no car maintenance? All movies till December 21st? Yep. I'm stocking up on all the classics, too. Gone with the Wind, Citizen Kane, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Squeakwool. <laughs> I, I knew he was crazy. Yep. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alpzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you may have. And we're going back to our phone lines. We've got Brad's been patient holding. Good morning, Brad. Yes. Good morning. I have an 05 Toyota Camry. Okay. And every time you do a sharp turn, uh huh, like you're back into a parking spot, I yes, hear sir. a squeal, like a half a second to a second squeal. It's only when you're, you know, backing into a spot. It's only when you got the wheel cut fully. Brad? Fully, or almost fully. Let me ask you this. If you just sit still and cut your wheel all the way without the vehicle moving, can you duplicate the squeal? No, it, it doesn't. Only when you're rolling? Yes. And, and only when you're rolling backwards? And forwards. I did, Forward um, sometimes, too? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I did little donuts in a parking lot, and every uh-huh. once in a while I hear it okay. going slow. You know what I bet that is, Brad, and I can't assure you this because a lot of things can make a little squeal like that, but I bet you you've got some brake pads that are either getting thin or they were replaced, and they did had a little ridge on the edge of the rotor, and it didn't turn or replace the rotor. Because okay. what happens when you're turned full over is the wheel tends to flex, and the wheel bearing has just a minute amount of slack in it. I'm talking thousands of an inch, but it's just enough for that rotor to move just a half okay. when you're turning like that. And anything in those brake pads, like I said, if the pads are thin, the little squeal indicator may touch briefly, which will... If not, what happens with brake pads, they tend to wear the face of the rotor, and they don't go all the way to the very edge. So what they do is they leave a little lip on the very edge of the rotors. And if you replace the pads without addressing that little lip, you'll get that kind of a problem, where you turn and that pad moves up just enough to touch it. Anything like that it touches is going to make a little squeal noise. But I would almost bet you it's going to be one of those two. You might take a look, pull the wheel off and take a look at the brake pads and see... If they're nice and thick, take your fingernail, just kind of scratch across that rotor, 
and if uh-huh. you can catch anything on the edge of the rotor, you know, if it's not perfectly smooth all the way to the edge, then that's most likely going to be your problem. And particularly if you look and it's got a real shiny spot on that little ridge on the edge of the rotor. That all being said, it's not normally critical. It's not like it's going to hurt the car. It's just an annoyance. But okay. check and make sure your pad's not worn out because you don't want to end up causing damage you don't have to cause. Okay, you don't think it's the steering? No, because if it was a steering, it would do it sitting still. You would not have to be rolling. That's why I asked you that question first. See, a power okay. steering pump is turning whether you're rolling or not. So if you cut the wheel full over and it started squealing, yeah, then you'd be into a power steering pump or a belt slip or something like that. And if it is the brake pads, do yourself a big favor and get yeah. the Toyota pads for Buy it. Buy original Toyota Make pads. sure you reuse the shim kits that come mm-hmm. with the pads. It, it's a shim that goes between the back of the pad and the caliper mount. Right. Do not let those get away. Yeah, because some people accidentally, they'll pull the pads off the shim, stick to them, they hit the garbage can with the pads, and then they make noise forever. Yeah, forever. You'll be squealing. And Toyota pads, as good as they are, really don't cost any more than the aftermarket junk. Okay. All righty. All right, thanks a lot. Okay, You're Brad, welcome. thanks, man. Bye-bye. Hi, four nine 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 five two six. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you on eleven fifty WJBO. And we're going back to our phone lines with Joey. Good morning, Joey. Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing, Doing great. great. Sir. I have got a '04 Dodge Ram pickup, the regular wheelbase. Mm-hmm. It's got the four point seven V eight in it. Yes, sir. When I get down on it, talking the straight punching it, and when it as it gets up as high as it's going to go, and it. it and it shifts gears, it's almost as if it's going from high down to the lowest gear. Instead of just speeding up, it just slows down. It doesn't slow down, but it just it just idles way down like I'm going from first gear to fourth gear. And I just I can't figure that out. Does it feel like the transmission is actually shifting gears, or does it feel like the engine is kind of bogging down? It kind of feels like the engine's bogging down because, I mean, if it just, just regular takeoff and go, it, just, it shifts just fine. I mean, it's only, it's an 04 and it's only got 66,000 yeah, miles. Yes, sir. Now, you're not hitting the rev limiter by any chance, are you? In other words, it's, uh, it's got an RPM limiter on that truck. We'll only let it go so many RPMs. When it hits that, it's going to duh, 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 duh. You know, it'll, it'll cut it off. Well, I know it does that when it's in park, but I, I it don't do it. It don't, no, I didn't think it did it when I. Well, it will when it hits a certain number of RPMs, whatever was programmed into that computer. What you might want to watch is the RPM level on the tachometer. Uh-huh. And you can simulate that without going too fast by dropping it down to a lower gear. For instance, if you put it in first gear and accelerate it, the RPMs are going to go way higher. And if it does the same thing at a much lower speed, then you're probably hitting the rev limiter. Now, if that's not the case, then I would assume you probably got some kind of a misfire that only shows up under high load. Some of the things that can cause that, Joey, would be like a dirty fuel filter can cause that. So where you all, your fuel pressure's dropping off, and only when the fuel load is high will it show up. A fuel pressure regulator that's not operating properly can cause that. Some of the simpler things, a spark plug that's worn out. That engine, does it have plug wires that have call packs, or do you know? You'd have to look under there. If it's got plug wires, plug wires are notorious for that. If it does not, it has call packs. A bad call pack can actually do that, although Dodge doesn't have much trouble with their call packs. Right. But those are the kinds of things that could cause that. But I would try, first off, put it in a lower gear, go drive it, and see if it does the same thing because your RPM come up much higher. Just kind of see what the rev limiter feels like and see if that's what it's doing. Now, if the transmission is actually acting funny, kind of funky, like it's hunting gears, Dodge had a lot, lot of trouble with what they call a throttle position sensor. 
And there's actually a couple of bulletins out where they want you to run an additional ground on that throttle position sensor because it can lose its signal and transmission gets confused and it can do some weird shifting things like that. But I don't think that's what you're talking about. All righty? Okay, if that didn't answer the full question, Joey, give me a call back and we'll go into it in a little bit more depth. That kind of stuff can be real confusing because cars have so many features built into them now. That you don't even know about. Right, and you don't come across them under normal circumstances. Correct. For instance, the GM cars, like some of your Chevy pickups and stuff now, if you turn the key to start, usually it instantly starts. Uh-huh. So you release the key and you don't notice anything going on. But if the car becomes a little bit more difficult to start, like it cranks over a few times, if you release the key, it continues to crank. Correct. Most people never feel that because they just turn the key and let it go and it starts. But when you get something like, oh, say a fuel pressure regulator goes bad, it's drained down into the intake manifold and it makes it a little bit harder to start. Well, all they notice is, hey, I turn my key and it keeps cranking. Something's wrong with the starter. Uh-huh. And that's actually a normal function that is only brought on by an abnormal condition. Right. And if you bring it to the shop and that give them that symptom, right. they're going in the wrong direction to begin with. Well, the absolute worst thing that a lot of folks do is how much is a rebuilt starter? Yes. <laughs> and if you call the wrong guy, which you probably will because you're going to call around until you get the guy with the lowest price who's always going to be the wrong guy. He's got the lowest price because so you don't know how to diagnose anything. Right. And you can end up with a cheap, junk, rebuilt starter that's not as good as the one you took off. And, and the same problem. And that's saying you call a shop. Now, if you start hunting auto parts, parts places, stores, there's no telling what you're going to get. Ten times worse because their job is to sell, sell you parts. a starter. <laughs> that's right. And unfortunately, the starter you get, you may have a starter problem now. Right. We've because seen what, that. what you had was great and what you and, got is junk. And your old one's gone. Yeah, that's right. Because it turned into core. core. Hey, we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Clint, what's with the huge crate? My 120-inch Platinum 3D TV. Splurging, huh? We're putting it all on the credit card, and since the Mayan calendar predicts the world ending December 21st, I'll never have to pay it back. That would explain the giraffe and elephant in your backyard. Have you thought about fixing your car, buddy? Your old one is in pretty bad shape. Leaking oil, screeching brakes. My car can make it to December. Plus, I need money to complete my set of life-size Star Wars action figures. Yoda is an expensive one, he is. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. You know, if your car won't run, you can always ride your elephant. Great idea. Let me Google elephant license. Uh, Okay, you know I was joking, right? Want to learn more about why AGCO is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Well, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour on 1150 WJBO. I'm Lewis Aldersan, your host with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? The car won't start, won't stop. That's right. Just give us a call. We've got a few lines open now waiting That's for right. something put, to talk about. Put you so right you up at the top of the list. So you're not listening to us? Yak back and forth? Banner back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> Which we hope is not totally boring, but it's just not as interesting as what the callers are. So exactly. Hey, you give us a call. We're going to talk about whatever you want. Kind of like, like Rush with his open line Friday. That's it. Open line Saturday here. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> you got it. So I'm going to let you go. You're going to let me go. Yeah, All right. Buddy. Just come to mind if you hadn't got your generators out. Mm-hmm. Get them out. Get them running. That's you know, right. We just had that little hurricane. 
Well, we had a good chance of getting it, but it went by. That's right. If you live so, in the Gulf South region, that that's is it. definitely just a part of life is hurricanes. And, of course, if you live elsewhere, you got your own things to contend with, right. be, be it wildfires or be it tornadoes or floods or there's, there's, there's something support, aggravates exactly. no matter where you're at. No matter where you're at. Locust hordes or <laughs> <laughs> droughts or whatever the devil it is. You know? That's it. But when the power goes down, in most cases, it is a major annoyance to you. Right. It can be an economic hardship because if you got a lot of food stored in your freezer and you lose it all, it's going it. to cost you some money. And in some cases, it's actually a medical emergency where you've got folks who are on equipment, be it breathing apparatus or oxygen machines that rely on electrical power. Exactly. So a lot of folks do have generators, and a generator is basically just a motor. Just like your motor in your car, your motor in anything else, it requires maintenance. And generators are operate under extreme conditions because normally they sit and they sit and they sit and they sit. Well, and they they start, they're scheduled to start, once a week, if mm-hmm. it is a, a built-in unit. If it's a built-in. It'll start once a week, run for about 10, 15 minutes, right. and then shut off. Right. Well, that's real hard on it mm-hmm. because you've got six and six days and 23 hours or that's right. 45 minutes. 99% of, of the time. Sitting there doing nothing. That's right. So, and if you've got a portable generator, then it's a lot worse because it's not going to start itself. It's just going to sit there just like it's designed to do. Right. And where a lot of folks get into problems with those is that they go and they fill their generator up with gas so they're ready to go. Uh-huh. They buy maybe a couple of five-gallon cans of gas and set them there. Month, two months, three months, six months goes by. That gas is now bad. Exactly. Because gasoline has a lot of additives and stuff in it that tend to fall out of suspension. It tends to start gelling up. It tends to get varnishes and all in it. And when they go to run the generator, either it won't start or it runs a little while and dies, and then they got major problems, either rebuilding the carburetor or maybe rebuilding the engine under some circumstances. Right, and there are products that you can add to fuel to stabilize it, to make it last a little longer. Makes Well, it makes it last considerably longer, but it's still not it's indefinite. Not exactly. And the thing is with those that a lot of folks don't, realize you cannot add those products to the gas once it's gone bad it can't regenerate it correct it can only stabilize it ahead of time and with the ethanol and all the fuel from what i understand it's even worse problem now than it was prior to that correct so what you want to do is when you put your fuel into your generator or when you buy additional fuel to keep on hand number one go ahead and add a fuel stabilizer to it that's going to make it last longer But number two, put it on your maintenance schedule. If you haven't used that fuel in about three months, go ahead and just pour it into your car, burn it up, and then go fill your can again. Right. That way you're not, I mean, certainly you're not going to throw gas away. Even Wait, there's nowhere to get rid of. Well, it's a hazardous product, so you can't only get rid of it. And even here, where the prices have come down considerably recently, it's still three ten, three fifteen a gallon. Right. Some areas are still four bucks a gallon, so it's not something you want to go throw away. But if you just start rotating it out, and you could even have two cans and rotate them uh-huh, opposite each other, forth. where it's not quite as big a hassle at one time. But say, go ahead and put a date on your can. After three months, if you haven't used it, go ahead and drop it in the car because you're going to burn it up pretty fast in the right, car. Right, and you're also going to mix it with what's already in the car, which That's has right. been replenished yeah. because you're going to the gas station every right. couple of weeks anyway. five gallons in the so average car gallons, holds 15 gallons. It's right. only a third of the content. And that way you can get rid of it in a legal manner right and it's not sitting on hand it's not going bad right you've got 
time to do something with it. Right, and you got fresh gas sitting there waiting for your generator. Now, by the end of hurricane season, I guess when September, November, October, whatever. November, rolls, I think, is the end yeah, of the season. Rolls around, go ahead and dump it in the car and don't replenish it until the next year. Right, go ahead and dump the generator out too. Whatever's sitting right. in the tank on the generator, right. drain that into an empty can. Right. And put that in your vehicle also. That's right. Or, just, or run, of, just let it run until it's empty. Or let it run empty. Right. That's, there's two ways to do that. You right. either let it run empty or you can put the stabilizer in it. Right. And siphon it, it back siphon out. Siphon it back out. Right. You just don't want to let it sit there for years with old gas in there. And then when you need it and you go to start it, you it's got a major start. problem. Right. So, Correct. Yeah, that's a good topic. Real timely, too. Let's see. We're going back to our phone lines. We've got Pete on the line. Good morning, Pete. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Look, got a 97 Chevy 1500. Uh Uh-huh. 87,000 miles on it, run perfect. Uh Uh-huh. But every now and then when I put it in reverse, it'll just sit there and then it'll go back. Forward, there's no problem. Put it in drive, it's great. But just maybe every three weeks or something like that, I put it in reverse and it'll just sit there a second or two and then Uh it'll back Uh up. Pete, I'm going to tell you what, and I know you're going to say you already checked this and it's okay, but check it again. Make sure that transmission is not low on fluid. Okay. And the reason I say you need to go check it again is because probably three times a week, a shop sends a car to us for a re- to rebuild a transmission because they diagnose it as being bad, and we find out it's two quarts low on fluid. Okay. It's really hard to check the fluid level properly. If you go to my website, there's a whole article on there how to check transmission fluid, but briefly... The vehicle's got to be on level surface, number one. It's got to be fully warmed up. That means at least 10 miles of driving. Right. Drive it about 10 miles before you check it. You have to have it in park idling. And this is the most important thing of all. You have to pull the stick out, wipe it off, stick it back in, take it out again, and read both sides of the stick. Now, if one side is right on full and the other side is two quarts low, guess which one's right? You got exactly. it. Exactly. Because see, the splash inside the transmission can throw fluid up on one side of the stick and make it look full. But okay. the other side can't possibly go down because it's sticking into liquid. So okay. that happens a lot. Another thing is if you see like it's on the full mark and there's a bubble or a blank spot and then a low mark, the lowest mark on that stick is the, is the correct mark. reading. Check right. it and make sure that it's not low on fluid because that is going to be the most common thing that will cause that problem by a wide, wide margin. Okay. Now, what you could even do if you want, Pete, you can go ahead and just dump an extra quart of fluid in that one. Not going to hurt anything. It's, you always hear if it's over full, it's going to blow the seals. Can't possibly happen. Won't okay. hurt anything. If you do that and it quits doing it, then you know for sure that was the problem. Okay. Because there's actually three different filters that go on that transmission. And if the transmission was ever serviced and somebody put the wrong filter, which is very easy because they have three different pan depths, and if they put a shorter filter on it, that even though it's full, it's sucking air because it's not all the way in the bottom of the fluid like it should be. And I'm going to tell you, that is so easy because if you go to a parts store, you just tell them I need a filter for a 96 Chevy pickup truck or whatever, they're going to hand you what they got, and there's three different filters, at least three, maybe more than that. They're all identical. They all fit, but they're all different depths because they use different pan depths. Okay. All righty. Thank you, sir. Okay, Pete. Thanks, man. All right. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Bruce on the phone. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. Good morning. Doing? doing great, sir. You must be glad you're in air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> it's hot outside. <laughs> I just got a general question. I got a 07 GMC pickup, just a standard four-door pickup yes sir with a 4.8 motor in it uh-huh. and i changed the belts on it a while back yes sir and one of them 
the uh, alternator belt uh-huh. was so tight I had to pry it on there. Well, I knew something wasn't right. So anyway, I went back to the parts store. And they wound up calling the dealer, getting the VIN number. Yes, and the sir. thing's got a big alternator in it. Yes, sir, a 140-amp alternator. That's going to take the and last three numbers before 51 instead well, of 450. Whatever, but what's mm-hmm. the point? Yeah, it's bigger alternator exactly. on it. It's just got a heavy-duty charging system. The belt is longer. That's just one more reason, Mr. Bruce, to go back to the dealer and buy those things instead of going to a parts store and buying them. And I've got an article on my website, How to Buy Parts Like a Pro. What I do when I buy parts is I give them the last eight digits of the VIN number, and I do not tell them what kind of car I'm working on. Because you get some lazy parts guys, you give them the kind of car, and they're going to start looking that up. You give them the VIN number, they're not going to even punch it in because it's a little bit extra work. So I don't tell them what kind of car it is. I'll call the first word out of my mouth is, hey, I got a Yankee Zebra 225-2291. Okay. Now, I'm waiting for them to tell me what kind of car it is. And I just sit there and hush until they tell me, which gets real awkward after a while. <laughs> so uh, they've all got to have it now. Oh, yeah, that's a 95, da, 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 you know. But there definitely are two belts that go on there. One with the 140-amp alternator. One is the, the smaller alternator, and it definitely has a longer because the alternator is larger in diameter. It comes up higher. Right. Uh, well, like I was asking, is there any reason for having this big alternator on it? Just a standard pickup? Yeah, they just sometimes they, that option came through. There's there are different option codes. They build so much of one, so much of another. I mean, actually, it's kind of a blessing. There's really no disadvantage to it, other than it costs a little more when you get ready to replace it. But I like the 140 amp alternator because if it's underutilized. It's running cooler. A 110 amp alternator that's running at 110 amps is right at the end of its ability, whereas a 140 running at 110 amps is just motoring on long. So it'll probably last you a whole lot longer. You just got lucky. Just some of them come that way. Just GM probably buys 100,000 alternators at a time, and they get a batch of them, and they had a certain quantity that maybe they were ambulances, maybe they were police cars. They got the 140 amp alternator. They had a bunch of them left over, so they just stuck it on the next bunch that came through. Make sure you wasn't sending them back or yeah, yeah. you're going to throw them away and, you or know, anything. The, the cost to them is probably zero. Okay, what does it uh, cost to replace that thing? Uh, about 450 bucks. Ooh, <laughs> uh, hope it does last. Yeah. That's it. Odds are if you keep a good belt on it and you keep a good battery in it, you're not ever going to see any alternator problems. But that's what kills alternators is either the belt gets loose or it gets the grooves get worn out and it's slipping, generates heat, or people put a bad battery or they keep running an old battery and the alternator is working like a Trojan trying to keep that old battery charged and it just burns it up. And you know, as hot as it has been these last few weeks, yeah. we've seen a lot of batteries going dead. That's right. Just dying from the you heat. Know, I, I try to change batteries every three, four years. Good idea. Whether, That's a real good idea. Need it or not. Well, battery 75 bucks and alternator is 450 and you know, to, which one you want to do? <laughs> tow bill is going to run you eighty yeah, something dollars. Yeah, yeah, hundred bucks tow bill. So, so plus the inconvenience. That's right. Do the math. Yep. All right. Thank you. All yes, right, sir. Mr. Bruce. Thank you, sir. Bye bye. All right, we're going to take one last little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Clint, what's that? Take a look. It's my bucket list of things to do before the world ends. Okay. According to the Mayan calendar, the world goes kaput on December 21st, 2012. I got lots to do, neighbor. Uh, bog snorkeling? Punch a whale? Compete in the World Toe Wrestling Championship? I've seen Meet Julia Roberts is scratched off. Yeah. 
Got her autograph, too. Really? Well, it's on the restraining order. Hey, shouldn't repair my car be on the list? What? Your, your brakes, they're constantly squealing, it shimmies and shakes and leaking oil all over I the think I can make it to December. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. Hey, um, isn't this one here illegal? Not in Tijuana, my friend. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Brian's our lead tech over at Agco, and between two of us, I think we can answer just about any automotive question you might have. That's it. Of course, just you can always stump us. But give yeah, us a call. That's just part of the fun. Let's, let's, try, let's try it out. <laughs> that's right. Hey, we're going right back to our phone lines with Bill. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Louis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good. Look, I have an 07 Dodge Ram 1500. Uh-huh. And it's been idling high. Okay. I'm about 1500. Wow, okay. And, and keep, like, soaking for air, like, going up and down with the idle when it's in park. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And I took it to believe they cleaned, though. Clean the throttle body? Mm -hmm. filter yes, whatever they yes, did to it. And it seems like that sold it for a few days. Yes, and then Back again. Yeah, well, what happened, Bill, is when they did that, they just reset idle. So it the computer basically lost track of where idle was. So it went to default reading, which is closer to right. As soon as it learned idle, it just came back again. Most of the time, the problem is going to be, and again, I'd have to see the truck tape for sure. But most of the time on that vehicle, that's going to be a bad throttle position sensor. There's a sensor on the side of the throttle body that tells it when the throttle blade is closed and when it's open and how much it's open. Dodge has had an awful lot of trouble with that sensor going bad and sending erratic data to the computer. Now, what you got to remember on that vehicle, the computer 100% completely controls idle. So things that used to affect idle, like a vacuum leak and all that, no longer will because the computer will just override it. If it sees an idling too high, it'll slow it down. If it sees it too low, it'll bring it back up. So anytime you've got an idle issue on a modern vehicle, you're going to have some type of an input that's improper to the computer, or you could actually have a computer itself that's going bad and it can fail to regulate idle. But you're going to need to get that to someone who knows what they're doing, Bill. They're going to have to put a digital lab scope on that sensor and then slowly operate the throttle back and forth watching the readings and what you're going to see is a little glitch in that reading and when you see that little glitch then you know the sensor's bad but that's okay. almost always what the problem is now they've had some issues with that thing where you have to run an additional ground wire to that tps to make it actually work right because they just had a lot of trouble with that system and what that can do is make it actually start to hunt gears like you're driving along. It may kind of downshift when it shouldn't and upshift when it's it kind of erratically shifting. It may so not be doing it. back to the dealership? Maybe? Oh, I'd oh, never no. do that. No, I would no. absolutely never do that. No, I would find a good independent shop that knows what they're doing. And if you don't have a shop that does that for you, go to my website. And right on the front page, there's an article called Finding a Good Shop. Right down toward the bottom of the, the right, page. Yeah, right down the front page, uh -huh. home page. Click on that link, read everything that's in there, and that's going to tell you everything you know to find a good shop. Okay, okay. I appreciate that. Okay, Bill. All right, sir. Thanks a lot. Thanks, You're man. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526. number, if you want to be part of the automotive, we would love to have you. That's a good point in that he says 
he went somewhere, had the throttle body cleaned or sensor cleaned, uh-huh. and it seemed to work for a couple of days. Now, what happens is that it's idling up because it's learned that with the inputs it has, that's where it should be idling. Right. When you go in and you clean the throttle body and say you disconnect the battery, it loses that data. All the learned data is now gone, or you clear the codes out. Correct. So what it's going to do, since it doesn't know where to idle, it doesn't have any data to base it on, it's going to go to a default reading. Which is closer to where it should be. Very closer to where it should be. It may not be perfect. In other words, it should maybe idle at 650. 650 to 700, somewhere in that range. And say the default idle may be 800 to 850. Uh Uh-huh. But if it's been idling at 1500, 850 seems really, really good. Correct. Now, it seems like it's fixed. You take it home, you cut it off, it sits, you crank it up, it starts learning, you cut it off again. Well, it didn't quite get it learned then. But after two or three days of driving, now the computer's relearned, it sees the input's wrong, wham, kicks it right back up to 1500. And you're back to where you started. You're right back where you started. It's just a matter of treating symptoms uh-huh. rather than addressing the problem. And that is probably the single most common thing that we see in the automotive as well as as pretty much everything in our society today. (laughs) Our government does the same thing every day. But you have to do testing, and the more experienced the person is doing the work, the quicker he's going to find find that, and the more he's going to realize that you can't just treat symptoms. You have to address the problem or it's coming right back. Had a vehicle in the shop this week that made the exact same point, and that was the vehicle was a little PT Cruiser. It would go along and it just wouldn't accelerate, just hardly any power at all, uh-huh. start running really bad. Brought it somewhere. They ran the codes. The code was camshaft position sensor, so they changed the sensor. Well, it ran good for a week. Wham, starts doing it again. So he goes back. Well, maybe we've got a bad sensor. So you change the sensor change again. Change sensor again. Runs good for a week or two, doing it again. So after about the third sensor, they figured, wait a minute, something else is rolling on here. Uh-huh. So anyway, he brought the vehicle in. First thing we do, we take the cam sensor out, check it. It's okay. So we don't have to change it. We can easily check it and see that it's working. It's got right. a good pattern on it. We go to the PCM, and we got an erratic cam sensor. Okay, so what's going on? Well, what's between the sensor and the PCM? The wiring, the plug, or the computer. Exactly right. And I'm not getting a signal to the computer, so I know it's not the PCM. In this case, go back, do a little bit of checking, and we find a broken wire in the wiring harness. Uh Now, the two ends of the wire were touching, which accounts for it running most of the time. Right. You go in, you change the cam sensor, you move the wire around. Exactly. Well, okay, now it runs okay because it's okay, but as soon as the engine torques up and down a few times, pulls those two wires apart, wham, she's doing the same thing again. That's right. Change the pigtail, problem fixed. Total diagnostic time, about 45 minutes. Total and repair time, a half an hour. And the problem solved. And the problem is now fixed, as opposed to spending several hundred dollars and continuing to have the same problem. And that's where an experienced tech comes in for diagnosis. That's right. It, that, that's, the, that's the best money you can spend. It is, and diagnosis is probably the highest skilled and the most highly equipped position in a shop. Correct. By a wide, wide margin. Almost any decent, mechanically inclined individual can change parts. Uh If I go in and say, okay, change this camshaft sensor, that's not real hard. Unbolt it, bolt it back up. I mean, just about anybody can do that. The problem is knowing what part to change. Exactly. And only the right part to change, and not changing parts to try to figure out what's wrong. Because what can go so terribly wrong there 
let's just take the same scenario. We've got a good cam sensor, but it's setting a cam sensor code. Well, first thing you put in a cam sensor. Well, now you got a bad cam sensor. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you still got the same problem. Well, you Correct. say, well, it couldn't have been the cam sensor. Because so it's new. Because it's new. So you so go change goes, this, 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 this. Right. You throw thousands of dollars of parts out. Right. It. Now you bring it to the shop. Well, first thing you do is say, well, you got a bad cam sensor. Well, it's, it's a new one. Well, it's bad. They change it, but you still got the same original problem. So now you're back at least one more time because now they realize, okay, there's more than one problem here, uh-huh. which they didn't expect to start with because you created a second problem. Right. Time and money. Yeah, just time, time and money. money and Somebody told me a long time ago, said the more time you got, the less money you're going to spend. The more money you got, the less time you got to spend. That's right. So there's a direct relationship there between the two. But what it comes down to, I guess, is that you have to have someone who can recognize the difference in a symptom and a problem. Uh-huh. And we see this just every, 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 every day. Folks will call around and, and they'll call us, how much is da-da-da-da? Well, how you know you need that? Well, it feels like, you know, how much a fuel pump? Well, how you know you need a fuel pump? Well, it feels like it's running out of gas. Well, what, what does, does that, that feel, feel like? Exactly. Yeah. What does that feel like? And sometimes they'll listen to you. Sometimes <clears> they won't. Sometimes they go put a fuel pump in. They're still doing the same thing. Then and they, they bring it to you, you. Yeah, they call you next week. And yeah, and you got a bad distributor cap. Yeah, you know, and or, a bad fuel pump. And a bad. Now you got a bad fuel pump too, because the one you took out was good, and the one you put in ain't. That's right. Ending up to snuff. So that was never a good way to go. But back when parts were fairly cheap were and they were few. fairly reliable right. because they were pretty unsophisticated, a fuel pump at one time, all it had to do was make somewhere between 3 and 12 pounds of pressure. Right. And all it was doing is filling up a bowl on a carburetor, so it really didn't matter a whole lot. If you had the cheapest, junkiest fuel pump out there, as long as it could fill that bowl on that carburetor, it was going to run just fine. That's right. I mean, if you really got down on it, you start making some horsepower, you might run out of gas because it couldn't keep up. But that's about the only way you knew you had a bad fuel pump. And the thing back then, you could go to the parts house, you could buy another fuel pump, right. put it on there, and go on that's right. about your life, not worry about it. But a fuel pump today has pressure regulated so precisely that, let's say, the specification is 57 PSI. Well, 52 is not going to run it. It may not even run at 55. That's right. And at 59, it's going to be flooded and setting the code. Exactly. So it's a very, very sophisticated part, and that's the reason a fuel pump now costs $500 as opposed to $12 the old ones used to cost. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a insanely complicated thing, and the precision is so high on it that the vast majority of the cheap aftermarket parts you buy do not meet the standards. No, they don't. Of a new part that a new part has to have. They, they do not. So. Hey, I guess we have squandered another perfectly good hour. That's it. Time to get on out of here. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. That's and right. Tell your friends so we can get some more people listening. That's right. And if you go to iTunes and subscribe to the show, not only will it automatically come to the inbox, but it'll kick our ratings up, which is what really, really for? good for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, it allows more people to see us because once you get your ratings up a little higher, they start featuring you on the front page and more people are going to click on you. So more people right. get the, the information. information that they need. That's right. So if you go in there, leave us a rating and subscribe to the show we really appreciate it preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry have a great weekend